Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, can I help you find something? Librarians specialize in helping you find what you were looking for. And sometimes what you didn't know you were looking for. Thank you for joining me as I talk to my guests about all things library, including the books inside them. I'm Julie Chavez, and this is Ask a Librarian. Julie Fogliano is the New York Times best-selling author of Books for Children. She is the recipient of the Ezra Jack Keats Award, the Claudia Lewis Award for Poetry, and she's a two-time Horn Book Award honoree. Her books have been translated into more than 10 languages. Julie lives in the Hudson Valley with her husband and three children. When she is not folding laundry or wondering what to make for dinner, she's staring out the window, waiting for a book idea to fly by. Here is my delightful conversation with Julie. Hello, Julie. Thanks for being with me today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that Joanna introduced us, connected us. Our mutual buddy, Joanna Rakoff, I think you've known her far longer than I have. She is just such a delightful person. I should have known she would know more delightful people. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, she's amazing. We actually met living in this, we um, were neighbors, an apartment, uh, apartment building on the Lower East Side. And then we had our first kid right around the same time. And then shortly after she had her son, we, I moved and she moved. And so we don't see each other very often, like maybe once every few years, but she's the sweetest. And of course, like the most ridiculously talented person. And, you know, I read every, yes. I try to read every book that she recommends. Oh, I follow 100%. her Instagram very closely. Same. <laughs> and I actually hold her responsible for a lot of my recent book buying. Me because too. It. I agree. She posted. I'm like, well, look, there's another one I need. Need. Yes. I emphasize that. So then when I buy it and have to shove it on the shelf on top of the other books, I'm like, well, sorry, it had to live here. And it's not it. my fault. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I really, whenever I need a new book, I just go through her Instagram and I'm like, what books did she like? What sounds good? And then I just get whatever. You heard it here first, podcast <laughs> listeners. Now we all know who to listen to for book recommendations. She's always spot on too. She is. And I love what you mentioned about your the way that you connected, because I think that those friendships that you form, especially when you have your first child, are so, they have their own little universe to them. And those people are so specific to a time in your life that's mm -hmm. so full of change. And so it's, I think that's a connection that never goes away. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was really like, it was, she was one of those people who I would always see and like thought she was cool and like wanted to be friends with, but then yes. like, you know, you don't always have an in with someone, like you don't know what you're going to say. You don't end up in the elevator enough together to talk. Yes. And then the fact that, you know, we had our kids around the same time, definitely kind of just like open that up a little bit. So I was really happy about that. And I wish we had more time to actually like hang out together because shortly after we went our own ways, but, but yeah, we're still in touch and 
She's great. She came to one of my book signings when I was in Boston pre-COVID. Oh. And that was great. I got to meet her youngest daughter. And that was fun. So that's so much fun. Yeah. Do you find that you have a lack of time due to those very children? Because I sometimes seem to find that the children seem to suck up a lot of time. The children. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. And even when they're not here, they suck up time. You know what I mean? Oh. It's like. Everyone's like, well, they're all in school. So you must have so much time during the day. Like, do you know how fast a school day goes? Like, do you know how little you can accomplish in a school day if you're trying to like manage your house, like take care of yourself, like maybe shower and eat? Maybe. Right? Yeah. Forget it. Like, there's no real time for any of those things. You have to take a fast shower. You have to eat food while you're showering. Yes. You know, right in between unloading the dishwasher and loading the washing machine. It's just like, there's not that much time. It's and then true. when you're home, forget about it. I mean, during uh, COVID, it was like, I didn't even try to write for months and months and months because I was just, I didn't want to set myself up for frustration. <laughs> just like, forget it. I think that was wise because I definitely had times where I would get involved in a project and someone would interrupt me and we'll leave those some ones unnamed, but it didn't work out well for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you have three children, correct? How old are your kids? My oldest one is 18. He's a freshman in college. Oh my gosh. My middle one is 15 and he's a freshman in high school. And then my youngest is 10 and she's in fourth grade. Those are great ages. They are. They're very far apart. So we, we 18, always 15, had 10. a baby. Okay. Yeah, It was you always did. a tiny one for many, many years. Like we didn't just get it over with all at, all at once. As soon as one went to school, another was born. And then when he went to school... She was born. She was born. Yes. This kind of was like one long, drawn out, <laughs> chasing a toddler situation. Oh, man. And, and now is- everyone's, you know, it's a very different now that they're all, you know, my daughter's like tweenish now and just wants to FaceTime and play Roblox. So, you know. Yes. Technology really has changed so many things. Right. And I think it's funny when you think about the baby years and then looking now, I always find this. I'll look at the boys sometimes and I think, oh, when you were younger, I would look at families that had children this age and think, gross. Like, look at those almost grown men, right? Yes. And you just had no concept that, oh, that's going to be you. And all the things that you think aren't going to happen, oh, those are going to happen, even though you've told... I mean, it's just this constant yeah. process of humbling experiences. Exactly. And in a lot of ways, really good because you think like, I will never be ready to send my kid to college. I am going to just like get into bed and never get out. I'm going to be devastated. And then like we got there and of course, like I miss him and all the stuff. Yes. Like I'm so excited for him for maybe COVID had something to do with like really wanting them to like start their next chapter and get out of the house and like enjoy their lives a little. So I think that that maybe helped me work through it a little bit, but you know, I, he was ready. I was ready. And it's great. You know, so it's, I'm not, you know, in bed crying every day, you know, it's just like amazing, like how you kind of evolve and you get, you grow with them in, you know, so many ways. So. Yes. Yes. You're a hundred percent correct. Speaking of teenagers, what was your first job as a teenager? Did you have a job? Like mm-hmm. a high school job? What did you do? Yes. Well, let's see. Well, I started babysitting at age like 12 as soon as someone would hire me. And then Best I worked money. at summer camps. I worked at summer camps through high school and college. Those were my, like, I, I always had that job for like for many years. And then I also, but my first like job that like wasn't a seasonal type thing was uh, I worked in a health food store in, in a mall in New Jersey. Oh, wow. And that sounds New fancy. In like the 80s, 90s, you know, they were like... <laughs> stuff movies are made of. 
<laughs> so it was fun. <laughs> I'm picturing two malls, specifically the mall in Saved by the Bell and also the mall in Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. When they brought that up, I felt like, oh, yeah, I went to that mall, right? <laughs> I had an orange Julius in that mall. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> and a hot Sam's pretzel. Yes. Which doesn't exist anymore here, but. No, I don't think we have. Yeah, it's been a while Maybe since I had a pretzel there. at the mall. No, I, I'm not sure. It could be an East Coast one, like Dunkin' Donuts, which is slowly moving west, which I'm very happy oh, really? about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's good, but not that good. <laughs> You're not missing anything, everybody. No. <laughs> so you start off in the mall at the health food store. How did you get to writing picture books? I'm sure it was just a hop, skip, and a jump from that. It was. They're so related. One day I was making uh, peanut butter in that big peanut butter machine. And the next day I was writing and then it's spring. How did I? Well, I think, you know, in high school, I discovered that I like to write. I had this amazing English teacher, Mr. Orsini. He was best. And he read a short story that I wrote because I never wrote anything before. And he was like, don't get published in the New Yorker before me. And I was like, ha. <laughs> as if I would ever get published anywhere. Right. But he planted the seed of, of the, the possibility of me being a writer, but I didn't know that I wanted to write for kids. And, and I, you know, I don't think most people really even think of that as being a potential job. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like at the, at the time it was like, who wrote for kids? Maurice Sendak, Shel Silverstein. Those are the only people you really like knew that were household names. Do you yes. know what I mean? That like, yes. So I didn't really think about it, but then I was in college. I was a creative writing major. I was sitting in my, my writing my writing workshop. And I was just like completely intimidated by everybody, completely overwhelmed, completely insecure. But also as I'm listening to everyone and be like, blah, 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 me, me, me. I know this, I know that. I realized like, I don't want to write for these people. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I don't want to write for people who think they know everything already. Like I want to write for people who are still like, wow, <laughs> like yes. still still amazed by the world and still like, you know, still have that whole wonder thing going on. So I realized then that I didn't want to write for kids, that I wanted to write for kids, except I couldn't write for kids in those classes. So I quit being a writing major. Okay. Because no one, there were no creative, like writing for kid classes. And the one short, the one story I submitted to my class for, that was a kid's, um, that was a children's book. (laughs) The comment was, I guess this is good, but I don't really know anything about children's books. So I was like, okay. (laughs) So thanks for the feedback. <laughs> exactly. So I changed majors, became a psych major and decided I would be a teacher if writing didn't work out. So I did that for a while too. I taught. So. That is a really interesting path. I wouldn't have thought that that seems almost counterintuitive, right? That creative writing wouldn't have a place for you to work on the art for children's books. But I guess you're right. I wonder if it was a, a timing things, but I'm... I'm glad that they kicked you out so that you could follow your path of writing for people that have a sense of awe and wonder yeah. at the world because I, your books do such a good job of that. And I can see how writing for people who were, you're a total growth mindset kind of writer. I love your prose. I love what you do. And I think you do such a good job of making your language concrete. It's very specific and really solid, but it also leaves room for interpretation, but not so much that the kids get frustrated because there's that fine line. (laughs) Well, I've, and I enjoy reading your books to the kids for that reason, because there's just enough to 
lead them down a new path. But some some poetry especially can just be hard for them, I think, because they're so literal. Mm-hmm. So when you sit down to write, well, and I have to say also that my one of my best friends, Kathy, gave me Just In Case You Want to Fly as a gift on my 40th birthday. Oh, I know. And I really can't read it without weeping. I get to the end every time. And I just, I love it so much. And I love all of your books. I have to say too, I want to start if we can by talking about And Then It's Spring because I was reading over it again this morning and remembering the first time I read it to the students at the library. And I was just smiling like a lunatic as I often do because I love that book. And my favorite line in it is, there are seeds and they are trying. <laughs> that I was, when I wrote that, that was like one of those moments. I'm like, oh, I like that. Like, yes. I don't always say that about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Yes. <laughs> it's good to have a little win as a writer where you're like, okay, <laughs> yes. That one will keep. <laughs> yes. How did that book come about? So that was your first, is that? That was my first. Okay. How did that book come about? Is kind of, there's like a, a little bit of a story that goes with that Great. book. Okay, so a little backstory is that for years I worked at Books of Wonder in Manhattan. It's a children's bookstore. And everyone who worked there was either an aspiring writer or aspiring illustrator. And all of us like in kind of succession went on to get books published and work with our, the same um, editor, Neil Porter. Cause like, you know, I, I think it was our friend, Nick Brule who writes Bad Kitty. Oh, I love Bad Kitty. He was he worked there with us. So he was the first one and he got published or he got his first picture book published. And I think if the, if I have the order correct, it was then George O'Connor who does the Olympians. Yes. Familiar with those graphic novels. He then, Nick, I think brought George's work to Neil. George then brought, I think both Jason Chin, who just won the Caldecott this year. Oh my God. Oh, wow. Jason Chin and holy crap, Ola Aaronstead. To Neil Porter. So we all worked together and it was like this little, you know, chain reaction of sharing each other's work. And also chain reaction of incredible excellence. Maybe I just put that in there. I mean, what a group, right? It it was an amazing, I mean, and like, we just, I mean, it, it was, it's hard to imagine that like that many awesome people could come out of that one little place that, you know, work together at the same time. Yeah. But then also it's not hard to imagine when you think about like in order to work in that store for such a long period of time, you have to really love children's books. You have to really read a lot of them and you really kind of have to want to live them. You know what I mean? So it was like, we read everything that came into the store. We had this amazing manager, Jen Lavanier, who was like the master of all children's books. And like, she just like, I think she just knew when she was hiring people, like who really like wanted to just like live and breathe children's books and who just had the passion and the excitement to want to like read everything that came into the store and talk about it all day long. Cause you had to talk about it with each other. So like if someone read one book that I didn't read, we would like share it with each other. And then of course you're sharing it with the customers. Right. So anyway, so there was all of that going on. Okay. So, and then it's spring. So then I was kind of like the one who just couldn't get my act together. And I really wanted to write, but I was never writing. And I was always complaining about not writing. And I was always like, I'm never going to, never going to happen. And I'm not like, <laughs> blah, blah. <laughs> so writerly malaise. That was your role in the group. <laughs> and, and then I had kids first. So it was kind of like, Oh yeah. They're a good excuse. So oh, I was 100%. like, now I have kids. Yeah. I'm never writing, you know, <laughs> as much as I wanted to, I just felt like yes. I just couldn't get out of my own way. So George O'Connor, we, you know, we remain, we all remain friends, but I, I remained particularly close to 
And one year, this was like before I had my 10-year-old, but after I had my 15-year-old. So whatever. Okay. That math works out. We were talking and it was his birthday like that next day. And he was like, Julie, for my birthday, because I was complaining about not writing. I was like, I can't, I don't have time. And so he was like, all right, for my birthday this year, I want you to write me one thought every single day for one whole year. And he was like, it could be like one line or it could be like 10 pages. He's like, write it and email it to me every day. And first of all, I was like, George, you're insane because he's like the person who makes fun of me more than anyone else in the world. Like, so I'm going to write my thoughts and send them to you for you to relentlessly (laughs) like insult and like badger me for the rest of eternity because of it. Totally. You want me to put down a record of this so you can mock it? No. (laughs) Because as it is, we already have a record of him drawing these like little cartoons of me, like either like with goat hooves or a beard or like he was always drawing me in some very unflattering way. <laughs> anyway, so, but some, for some stupid reason, I was like, or maybe it was a smart reason that I didn't yeah. realize at the time. I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to do it. Yep. So anyway, I started doing this thoughts of the day thing and it was, you know, I, I, that's what kind of got me, helped me find the voice that I now write in because Mm. for the longest time I was trying to write the books that I was reading. I was trying to write like the people I was reading. I was trying to create stories with characters and plots and all the normal things that most children's (laughs) books have. I've heard a few like that. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I couldn't write like that. And every time I tried, it sounded terrible and forced and I hated everything. So when I started doing the thoughts of the day, I just started writing about what I was looking at. So like literally, like if there was a pancake on my kitchen floor left over from breakfast that my like, you know, two-year-old dropped on the floor. Yep. I would write about that. Like I would write about the Legos on my floor. I spent a lot of time writing about the things on my floor because there were just so many things on my floor at the time. But I also wrote about what I saw at the window. And so, and then at spring, I wrote one night, it was like two in the morning and I still hadn't done my thought of the day. And I was like, ah, and I was feeling very crabby about it. And I went, I was like distracting myself. So I went on Erin Stead's blog Mm-hmm. because she had a blog at the time. And she had this picture of like this little table in the grass that she would work at. And I was like, oh, I want a table in the grass to write at. And I was like, just kind of just feeling down about things. And so I started thinking about my own grass and my own yard and it was a mess and the yard was a disaster and there was nothing green anywhere. And we had just planted seeds. And and so I just started writing that, like just about the state of my yard and, mm-hmm. and like just feeling very down about it. And that's why we start first, I started first year brown because it was just brown and whatever. So anyway, so I wrote what was then and then at spring, but I didn't in any way think that that was a picture book because really like picture books tend to be about something. And right. this was about literally waiting for the grass to grow. Like, <laughs> I mean, how anyone would see this as a potential book yeah. It's beyond me, but I sent it to Erin just as a, I, I was looking at the picture on your blog. It made me write this thinking of you sent right. it off. Like not at all, even like a little bit thinking, oh, this would be a picture book. Little did I know that that sneaky one was going to send it to her editor, Neil Porter, who immediately wrote back like, yes. Do you want to illustrate it to Erin? And she was like, yes. And then they present this to me like, we want to publish this book and Erin's going to illustrate it. And this all happened within like, I think 24 hours of me writing it or like wow. sending it. It was nuts. And I was like, are you guys sure? Like, this isn't about anything. Like, how are you going to make a 32 page picture book out of waiting for the grass to grow? There's not even a character. There's not a person. Right. In the book. Yes. But they saw it and I was like, all right, God bless. Go ahead. And I mean, <laughs> she created like a whole entire thing out of it. And 
Yeah, that's a very long story for that. I love it. I, I really appreciate all the little details though that you included because I think it's really easy. And I tell the kids at school this all the time, especially now I really yammer on about it, but you know, I'll hold up a picture book and say, this took us, you know, whatever, seven minutes to read. But the backstory of every book includes not only its creation, but all of these little moments of serendipity that lead up to its sudden existence in the world. And that sounds perfect. I mean, you can dial that back so many ticks, right? That Mm -hmm. George did that, that you had that relationship. I, I love, I love stories like that. And it's such a tremendous book. And you can tell that Erin must have resonated with it because her illustrations are perfect. I mean, it's perfect. it almost is one of those where if you handed it to me, I would have thought that the author and the illustrator were the same person mm. because it's so seamless. Yeah. So yeah, it totally. I and that's the nice thing about like I always thought I was like at a deficit because I didn't illustrate my own books. Okay. I always felt like, oh, you know, it, it, it's never going to be fully realized because, you know, I can only write the words and I can't, you know, create the images that are going to go with it. And, you know, I always kind of felt like, oh, you know, like, am I ever going to really be able to make this work? And I was always worried about what if I get an illustrator I don't like, or what if they don't see it the way I see it? And like, right, like right off the bat with this book with Aaron, it completely like rearranged my brain about that because, you know, here's this thing that I didn't even think could be a book that I couldn't even, because I don't visualize anything when I write, like I hear words and I write them down and I don't see it occasionally. And maybe a little thing will pop up, but like for the most part, I don't hear, I don't see stuff. It's just tumbleweeds going across there. Exactly. (laughs) It's like, there's nothing else in here, but, but words. And so having that experience with Erin, where it was kind of like, I don't even know how you're going to turn this into a book. Good luck. And seeing what she did, it totally made me trust that whole process. Like if you have an editor that you trust and therefore end up with an illustrator that you trust, then you can let go of everything else and, and, and just let the illustrator have their part, let them have their voice in it, let them interpret it their way. And it only will become better because, Mm -hmm. you know, how much of my brain do you really need? It's nice to have someone else's perspective of those words because it makes it much richer, you know? So yes. after that experience, I've like totally fell in love with that whole process and don't at all regret not being able to illustrate my own books. I, I love it. And I've, I have never once been let down with, with an illustrator. And I mean, part of that is that Neil is so amazing in that we have so many conversations about like who we'd like to see do it, even mm. if it's not someone who's even alive, like who, who in your wildest dreams. And so we kind of get to like figure out the feeling of it. And, you know, so the the fact that he lets me be part of that process, I hear in, you know, other situations, the the author's not necessarily involved in the process, but he has always included me in it, like in a very real way. And in the end, we've always come to the same conclusion. There've been times where he would see something that I wouldn't necessarily see or think of someone that I wouldn't have thought of or Mm -hmm. so it's been really great, but it's definitely like, there's a lot of trust there. Like he's like, you know, I a hundred percent trust his opinion. And so it's fun. It really frees me up. And, and I really love leaving room in the text for the illustrator. Like, it's just like, you know, I like to give just enough, but not too much. 
because, you know, every illustrator I work with has been so amazing that like, I want their brain to get a chance to really like dig into it and not be like, okay, she said that their shoes were red. So now I have to like, you know, red shoes. And then they, you know, it's like, I don't, I, I want them to really like be able to just totally make it their own. So I think you do a good job of that. And I can see, I think it pays dividends. I mean, and the fact that you have such a collaborative relationship, those are all great things. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I wanted to mention also... When's my birthday, which is perfect since we were talking about your birthday. When I read it, I was laughing so hard because speaking of books that aren't really there, that one felt like this is a perfect children's book because kids are obsessed with their birthdays, right? That is the number one topic that I get at the library. Just when's my birthday is just so, it feels like a perfect book for kids because kids love their birthdays. And how did that one come about? Is that where you started with that one, or was that you were having trouble waiting for your own birthday, which is fine too? <laughs> I often I, mean, I do love my birthday. I don't know that I get quite that excited anymore. <laughs> for a while, I just like I became very aware of what my kids were saying about their birthdays because it was like a relentless thing. Yes. So I was just kind of like taking little notes here and there of things they would say. And definitely, when's my birthday? How many days until my birthday? I mean, I'm sure that you've heard it a million times. Yes. Actually, where's my birthday was also something that a friend would say on her birthday, but it was, she was an adult. So she was like, where's my birthday? <laughs> and she opened her eyes in the morning and like her husband wasn't ready with the balloon present. She would be like, where's my birthday? And so that, that was just a little joke. But so I was just like kind of taking notes and, you know, I just had like a little list of like birthday stuff, like that my kids would say that my nephews would say, yeah. and then... And then it was actually, this is another, I mean, I think most of my picture books start off as not picture books. I was, it was Neil's birthday. It was like a big birthday for him. I can't remember which birthday. Okay. And I had just been playing around with, when's my birthday? Where's my birthday? How many days until my birthday? So I kind of just like wrote it down in a very stream of consciousness, kid blabbering on kind of way. Again, not thinking, oh, this would make a picture book because it was not, you know what I mean? It was so like, ah. Yes. And and he got it. And he was like, yes, here we go. (laughs) Here's a book. And I was like, what? So. Yeah. And then he, we weren't sure about who would illustrate that one. And I think it was actually my agent, Steve Malk, who like, I think he, he's also Christian Robinson's agent. And I think Christian's like first book had just come out. Okay. And I didn't know his work even. And Steve was like, oh, you know, I could totally see Christian Robinson doing this. And I was like, oh, I don't know who that is. So I'm on the phone Googling and I saw it and I was like, yes, Mm -hmm. not thinking that he would be interested. And it just all worked out perfectly. And oh my God, like that book, like 
couldn't have been better. Everything about it, I love. I actually have a poster of the cover oh. in my kitchen. Like, I just love it so much. It's like from the French edition. So it says happy birthday in French on the on the cover. Oh. And, and anything I just, I love in French. It. Palette, yes. The girl on the, the whole thing, like everything was was just perfect. I he that. really did capture it well. And I loved the ending illustration, the snore, my yeah. snore. That was so perfect. That's a great, and what a great birthday gift for kids. Yeah, I, I think love so. It. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, since we'll all be shopping for birthday gifts, since we're, I mean, friends' birthdays, right? That's like the bane of my existence sometimes. Yes. It's so-and-so's birthday. Although I don't know that my teenage son's friends would really like a picture book, but too bad for them because they need it and picture books, you never age out of them. I could even write a little instructive note to go with it. I think that would really endear me to them, don't you? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> as much as I would love for you to give it out to everyone you see, I don't know that that would be the best route if you're looking to endear yourself to uh, teenagers. But I'll, I'll, I'll think through my demographic. I hear what you're saying. I'm good at taking feedback. I got it. I wanted to ask you what you are reading now. What do you enjoy reading? What do I enjoy reading? I, I'm all over the place. Lately, I've been reading a lot of Joanna's recommendations. So I've been, I, I didn't read adult books for years, like years okay. and years. I didn't read a single book intended for adults. I was only reading like, like YA stuff when I was working in children's books. Yes. And then even after, like I pretty much just stayed in there, but lately I've just, I've been reading like basically whatever Joanna has suggested for the past month. And now I'm kind of like, it's been like a lot of like just real contemporary stuff. And now I'm yeah. kind of like, Oh, I think I've I think I need to take a break from that. So I'm going back to some of my my old favorites. I'm actually rereading, which I haven't reread in years. My grandmother's favorite book was Weathering Heights. And when I from when I like was like four years old, she'd be like, read this book. And I'm like, I can't even read. And then like <laughs> in my 20s, I read it for the first time. And then since she passed away, I just kind of like reread it whenever I feel like I need a little bit of her because it was like mm. such a book that she loved so much. So I'm just rereading that now, just to have some time with her. Okay. I wanted to ask you real quickly, do you think that there's a resurgence happening for poetry? I'd like to think so, since apparently that's what I've been writing. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like in, for kids, you mean? Well, kind of both. Yeah. I think I'm seeing more, I've seen more poetry out lately for adults that's kind of been spun around. You know, I think Mary Oliver is such a classic that yeah. many people know, but- mm -hmm. Some more contemporary poets, I feel like I've seen, and I've, I'm seeing a lot more children's books and even middle grade in verse. So I wonder if it's something that's sort of coming back around. I just didn't know if maybe you had noticed it. You know, it's it's weird. I hate to use social media as a gauge for things like that. Of course. But on Instagram lately, it seems that there's so many people putting their poetry out on Instagram. Like, a ton. So I, right. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's just some weird algorithm thing that, it, or if it's actually really happening. And I also just think like, you know, people are need, need an outlet. Like it's yeah. like, you know, these are weird times. And certainly, I mean, poetry for me is like literally what gets me through. Like, it's like, it's like, yes. that at least gets me through mentally, you know, it's just, so maybe, maybe there is, I don't know. I mean, certainly you're right. Like verse novels are such a thing. I mean, God, I've been trying to write one for years, but yeah, I, I guess, I guess so. I mean, I think that there are some poets out there who are definitely more accessible. You know, I, I feel like it's just like, there is that, like, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there writing for kids that are trying to make it something that kids will enjoy. 
Yes. And that was never the case when I was growing up. It was like poetry was like, get away. Like, you know, it was like you had to analyze it and you had to use the literary devices. And it was all like, oh, it just felt painful, you know? Yes. And I feel like the more writers there are out there are actually like trying to make it like a form of expression that can feel free yes. and, and actually help you either even if you never show anyone your poetry, the more people there are out there like that. I mean, the more there will be more poetry. So I'm hoping um, I, I do. I think, I think, yes, my answer is now. Yes. I do. Okay, think perfect. More of a research. <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? I just listening to you talk through that. I think you're exactly right. Maybe the better way to say it is that we are seeing more accessible poetry. And poetry that's maybe resonating in a different way, because especially for those of us around our age that grew up in that time where poetry was to be analyzed and very serious, as opposed to this outpouring of need and emotion and where do we put all this, right? Mm -hmm. And poetry feels, I, I think it's such a gift and it's one that I think that I didn't pay attention to for a long time and am more now, so... It could just be me thinking that everyone else is doing what I'm doing also, but no, I'm going to take your yes now. You're right. I mean, you think about it, like, like there are books now, you know, like before it was like the poetry section, I'm thinking kids books right now. The poetry yeah. section was Shel Silverstein, Shel Silverstein yes. Zach Kralutsky, and like maybe a few other books that were spined out in a section this big, you know what I mean? Yes. And it was like in a bookstore. And now, I mean, yeah, like, you know, the crossover, you know, and the Newberry. And, you know, yes, it's a, a novel in verse, but still it's like all over the place. Like the books like that have been able to like propel it in, you know, forward a little bit more and also put it out. Like they want you to, like the bookstores want you to read that book now, even though it's poetry yes. and they're not necessarily announcing that it's poetry and that's fine. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's just, here's a good book you should read. Oh, by the way, it's poetry, you know? And so it takes away the pressure and the weirdness about it. Yeah. It's not forever relegated to its sad little section in the back with bad yeah. lighting kind of thing. Now it's, okay. yeah, it can, it can be in the front. It's having its moment in the sun. And yeah. it sounds like from what you're saying, if you're trying to write a novel in verse, it sounds like the way forward for you is to not try at all. And then Neil will magically just Oh. <laughs> you know, maybe grab it from an email or something. Like maybe you just need to start that way. Because <laughs> apparently identifying the books is tricky. So I have one more question for you. And then you are going to ask me a question for our Ask a Librarian portion of the show. My last question for you is tell me something that you're bad at okay. that you wish you were good at. And it can be something serious or not serious, consequential or not. Well, there are so many things that I'm bad at, but I guess the one that annoys most people would be that I am very bad at being on time to anything ever. Oh, <laughs> would you like to be better at that? Oh God, yes. I would. I just like, I actually cannot. It's like, I think that I have some kind of like processing issue with time. Like, <laughs> I think if you, if someone looked at my brain, they would see like a big like hole in that part of <laughs> Is it you're trying to squeeze too much into a small amount of time or it just doesn't click? Like I should be leaving now. That just doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. I think, okay. oh, I have plenty of time. Even if the place is an hour <laughs> away and it's, you know, it's time to leave right now. Like it takes an hour to get there and you got to go. I'm like, oh, I have plenty of time, even though I, there's only like a half an hour. Oh, I find that inspiring, actually. It's terrible. Oh, I am. 
I have to say my recurring dream, I never dream about anything fun like flying. I dream about really boring, stupid stuff, but I dream always that I'm flying somewhere. The, the plane leaves in an hour, the airport's 45 minutes away, and I'm still at home and I haven't packed a thing. Like there's no possibility that this is going to happen, but I'm running around the house. So I think when we meet up, maybe I'll just tell you a fake fake time since I'm clearly concerned about not only your timeliness, but mine and all the people on the plane. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I have to say though, I I genuinely, like that airports are one place, but actually maybe it's not even true. I was going to (laughs) say I'm I'm usually on time for flights, but really the only reason why I'm on time is because I'm uh, generally flying like on a book tour where someone has to, someone's scheduled to pick me up and it's not in my control because in that case I'm great I because I can't leave them waiting and I can't miss the flight for like you know yeah of course so you just need a handler someone in your life right to I I mean yeah you need a handler all the time if I had a handler I would get everywhere (laughs) the time and my husband does not count because I just get mad at him and I oh he tells me it's time to go yeah feedback from your spouse really just (laughs) always takes a different turn (laughs) It doesn't matter what it is. Okay. Well, I love that answer. I will silently cheer you on in your quest to be on time more places, but I think the airport's a great place to start. It is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's your question for me? Okay. This is like a very practical librarian question. I love it. Okay. So my daughter is 10 Mm -hmm. and she is a great reader, says she doesn't like to read. But when she is reading, is completely absorbed and loves it. Okay. But only wants to read the same books over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And there, she will read the Raina Telgemeier books. Oh. I mean, they're like coming apart. Like she's read them all. And every time I'm like, all right, go, you know, go pick up a book and read it. That's what she chooses. And like, that's fine. I, I love them and I think they're great. And so far I haven't forced her to read something different. I've tried to get her other books that I thought would be comparable. Yep. She's read them, but begrudgingly, not, begrudgingly. Yes. Like, <laughs> you know, she just wants to go back to the same books. Would you say that I should just let her do that? Because clearly there's something in those books that, you know, is really speaking to her right now. Or do you think that it's more of like, She's being like a lazy bones and doesn't really want to. Try. I don't know, but I don't know how much I should push her to try to read something else. Yeah, librarian. That's that's a val- that's a very valid question, and I even have that with some of my kids at school, and they don't live with me, and I still feel that like, could you try something else, pretty please? I think. So I'm always of two minds on this question, as I'm sure you are too, right? And I think that there is an idea that she's not developing necessarily certain other skills because she's rereading those books. However, rereading the same books can be a tremendous source of comfort and Mm -hmm. it can also bring different sort of dividends for her. So, I mean, I would probably say, and this is a a tricky one, are you reading anything aloud together? We are not. Not right now. We were, well, one thing I have to say is she is reading at school. Like she has a book that she has yeah, to read. Of course. School. She's reading a novel at school. I can't remember what it is right now. Single shard, maybe. I can't remember. But she's okay. like, so she reads, it's like, you know, so she does yeah. like read things that push her 
a little bit. Yes. And right now we, we haven't read anything together in a little while. Like during COVID, we were like really full steam ahead when we were really home home. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of just petered off. I should yeah. peter off, petered out, tapered off. I don't know, whatever. We tapered stopped. off, petered out, I think. Yeah, it, it ended. Um, <laughs> we should do that. But yes, that would be a good... Well, because the reason I say that is because both of my boys, neither are big readers. They, I know it's, and it just, I don't know. I've, I've kind of just tried to accept it in a sort of Zen way, but some days I'm better than others. And then others, I bring it up at random times when I'm actually upset about something else, which I think they really enjoy just that unpredictability. (laughs) Where's she going to go with this? But we did read Harry Potter together over kind of pandemic time. And I agree. It was a little easier to get it done then. But I enjoyed that so much because it took all of the pressure off. Because I would say I would let her read what she wants to read. Like, I think there's nothing wrong with doing that. But if you want to introduce a little variety, I think a way to do that without battling would be to read it together. Right. So yeah, that's a great idea. And I would it, love to honestly read Harry Potter with her. I read it to my sons. And then, like, you know, third child, she's like, Do I get Harry Potter? <laughs> and you say, No. I love you so much. Big undertaking. (laughs) Oh, it is. Oh my gosh. There were times where I was begging them. I was like, can we please switch to the audio book? And they would say, no. (laughs) So it's, but I think that's a common issue that people have. Kids like to read the same things, but especially now I could see that being fine. If she likes the Babysitter's Club series by her, I would- She did read those. Okay. But- she would only read the ones that Raina Telgemeier illustrated. She didn't illustrate all of them. And as soon as she got to the ones that she didn't, she stopped liking them. She is a purist and I respect Seriously. it. I know it's re- I'm like, how do you even tell the difference? I mean, I, obviously she can read the difference in the, on the cover, but like it yeah. really makes that much of a difference. Like you really are that drawn to her work, but, <laughs> but well, and I would ask her a few questions too. I'm interested to know. So she likes that style of illustration. She likes graphic novels. There are a few other ones. There's one called Aster and the Accidental Magic that I'm thinking of. That's a little bit of a cool premise. Five Worlds is another one. So there are lots of ones in that wheelhouse for her to try if graphic novels are her thing. Like very realistic graphic novels. Like she doesn't want anything fantasy. She doesn't, she doesn't want, want anything. Fantasy. She, I think that that's what draws her to the Raina Telgemeier books is that she, yeah. they're, they're like real people problems. You know what I mean? And there yes. are a lot of it is like emotional stuff that I think yes. is like, you know, and she started reading them, I think a little bit young. So maybe every time she reads them, she's kind of getting something new out of it. Just, you know, or I Absolutely. should just like reach out to Raina Telgemeier and just say, can you please just write some more books already? Because I think, my daughter needs Yes. To- I think that's solution number one right there. I think speaking of endearing yourself to people, right? Send a really strongly worded email and say, <laughs> hi, Raina, I'm Julie. And here are my needs. Get on I've, it. I've numbered them for you. <laughs> so I, you know what though? I'm going to do some more research because something that librarians love to do is search for a book. So I will do some research and I will put it on the Instagram also for other people to benefit from because you are not the only person with a 10-year-old girl who only wants to read those books. Okay, good. I would love that. I, I'm getting to the point where I might just like cross out another person's name and just write Raina Telgemeier on it and hope that she'll just <laughs> she'll read it. I think these are all really solid ideas. <laughs> I'm, I'm in support. I can't wait to see how it goes. Well, <laughs> Julie, thank you. That was a fun question. I have to tell you that I have loved talking to you. I really... I'm a fan of your work. 
I love what you bring. I can't wait to see all the beating hearts. Are real quickly, are you working on that now? Well, I have two books that are coming out. Oh, I have okay. one that's coming up before all oh. the beating hearts, which I'm very excited about. It's called I Don't Care. And it's illustrated by two illustrators who happen to be best friends, Molly Idol and Juana Martinez Neal. And they illustrated it by doing a drawing, sending it in the mail, doing a drawing, sending it back, doing a drawing, sending it back. And it's finally done. And it is amazing. And it comes out in October. I am like ridiculously excited about it. There's going to be a cover reveal coming up soon. Oh, yay. That sounds like epistolary illustration. That's so cool. It's so so cool. I mean, I'm so excited. It's such an amazing treat. And then I believe it's that spring. Yes. All the Beating Hearts comes out. And that is illustrated by Katya Chen. And I really, this is like my, (laughs) this was my pandemic book. This was the book that like, I wrote from my soul and was like, I, I hope that this mm. translates for kids. And so far, the feedback has been good from, you know, anyone in, yeah. you know, who's working on the book. Children right on the street that you've accosted <laughs> and said, hey, read this. <laughs> it's pretty much grownups on the street at this point, but I'm hoping that the kids on the street like it too. But yeah, we will see. But I'm excited. I'm just starting to like see some little bits of art from it. Oh, Yeah. And I am so excited to be working with her. And I, yeah. So I can't wait. I will. I think that I can only imagine that if it came from your heart, just reading your other books and seeing how tender and honest and just respectful they are, I feel like, of the human experience, but the kid experience within that. And how- I, that's so that's so nice to hear because that's one of the, you know, I, I never want to feel like I'm just kind of like, goopy gappy doo doo to like kids in my books. Like I'm writing to them as I would speak. I'm writing to them like from my heart, not yes. like, you know, watered down or cutified, you know? So yes. Well, Thank it you. comes through. You're achieving it. It's, it's tremendous to watch. So I can't wait to see what's next. Thank so Thanks much. so much for your time today. Minutes are precious. And this has been so much fun. It has been great. It is great. So we could just sit here and talk all day. So I think we could. Well, (laughs) sounds good. We'll have to catch up again when your new books come out. I can't wait. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, friend. Take care. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Ask a Librarian. As always, it's my joy to share and learn with you. You can follow me on Instagram at Julie Writes Words, or you can go to my website, juliewritewords.com. There you'll find the show notes, including all the books mentioned in the episode. See you in the stacks next week. And until then, friends, never go anywhere without a book. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.